You can do that? I guess you could. We'll talk about it on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On UCLA podcast. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Yoxheimer, and thanks for making this show your first listen each and every day. It's free where we get your podcasts available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get it. Hit that download button, subscribe, like, comment, review. Thanks for your support. If you're an everydayer, you would have heard us talk about UCLA's offense against the Utah defense. Today, we flip it. It's the Bruins defense in comparison to Utah's defense, and more importantly, how will they do against the very question mark-filled Utah offense with all the injuries and the concerns for Kyle Whittingham. If you're tuning in, thanks for your support. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnCollege. Enter the promo code LockedOnCollege for a free water bottle with any purchase. You don't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Just like we promise a very good show today, Let's rock and roll because UCLA, while I did mention if you're an everyday or the, in the most recent episode of Locked on UCLA, the key of this game will be how does UCLA score against Utah's D. If they can score a lot of points, I'm just not sure Utah offensively at this point with all the question marks rising. Keithy, they're starting center. We're going to get to the injuries in the next segment. I'm not sure they can keep up. Not saying that that can't happen in this game. I just don't see it necessarily happening. But if Utah runs the football, controls the clock, and really hurts UCLA in categories that they've dominated so far against lesser competition, then it could be a long day for UCLA and Rice Eccles, where they haven't won since 2015 with another true freshman quarterback in Josh Rosen. The Bruins, who are similar in some key national statistics with Utah when it comes to stopping the run, points per game, even forcing turnovers. But some of those, you look at the stats and you're like, well, Utah has faced some very big teams. And even Weber State was good at running the football coming in and Utah's dominated. For UCLA, Coastal Carolina didn't necessarily come in running the football that well. San Diego State did and the Bruins shut them down. And I'm not sure we can really count or truly understand what NC Central brings to the table, despite them racking up a bit of rushing yards at the end of that game. UCLA is holding teams within that 60, 65, less than 70 rush yards per game. And overall, this is a UCLA team. It's clear as day. They're dominated by their defensive front. Their D-line between the Murphy twins, Latsu, everybody has been dominating up front by the D-line, which against the Utah O-line can have... They need to have a field day. Maybe not can, but they need to if they want to inflict pain and assert dominance in this game. Now, will that happen? I'm not sure so much about the dominance, but that's how they can affect this game positively and give UCLA's offense, the Bruins can, with a good defensive performance. They don't need to be as spectacular offensively in a tough environment on the road against a good defense for UCLA to face against Utah. The difference in this Danton Lynn defense, most importantly, has been the aggression, the ability to finish tackles, and just the ability to force a lot of negative plays between turnovers, tackles for loss, and the ability for the linebackers last couple of weeks to step up and make some plays to lead to UCLA victories in their 3-0 start in this key-ranked matchup. You hear Latu's name. He leads the Bruins in sacks. 
is what five and a half tackles for loss, four sacks through three games. Probably would have had more if he played more than just a minute, it seemed like, in the NC Central game when even though he played not that much, he still nearly had a pick six, one of six UCLA's interceptions this year. The Bruins have forced a couple of fumbles. They forced three fumbles, recovered two of them. The big thing is UCLA has 28 tackles for loss, as was key and clear and evident in the San Diego State game. The Bruins were coached up really well, have read some plays that just seemed like when it came to a screen or a certain sweep in the last weeks against the Aztecs and the Eagles of NC Central. The Bruins have been prepared for certain packages the opposition has come out with, and they have read it well, and they've made the play. It's one thing to be in position to make a play. It's another thing to finish and actually take the runner to the ground. UCLA has been able to do this. They've been able to do this with you know a, a, re- a renewed sense of aggressiveness under their first-year defensive coordinator, Danton Lynn. While all the love I can give it to the likes of Lot 2 and the Murphy Twins and anybody on the line, even maybe Brian Strother might make some plays against Utah, where it's going to be key is for the UCLA linebackers, whether they have to fill and cover some receivers or maybe jump up and defend the run. Darius Moisau has been absolutely fantastic for UCLA. 13 solo tackles, 18 total, four tackles for loss, two sacks, and an interception at the goal line against San Diego State. That's the definition of doing everything. He's been one of the standout UCLA linebackers in the first three games. And if he has a dominant performance against Utah, which he needs, the Bruins can quiet a Utah rushing attack where it's either a dual threat option like Nate Johnson. Cam Rising can also run if he's healthy enough to play. But the the Utes can throw out anybody out there to run if they get a big enough hole. So it doesn't matter who's out there. They are going to emphasize being physical and running the football. That's where Mwasau can come in. And the big Cal transfer, Oluwafemi Oladejiao, he comes in very quiet week one, no tackles, seven tackles week two against the rushing attack of San Diego State. And then with UCLA so far out in front early against NC Central, only recorded a tackle and didn't have too much stats in that game in week three against the FCS opponent and HBCU school the NC Central Eagles. So this is a big step-up performance potentially for Femiel Ledejao, who is yet to have a simple tackle for loss. And then you've got Kane Medrano, who's played a couple of games, six tackles, one tackle for loss. Where does UCLA all fit in here? It's the aggressiveness of looking for everything in between. So can the Bruins do that against a Utah team that they don't really know who's going to step up and actually do big plays. Who's going to make the big moments? Who's actually going to start? It's going to come down to the linebackers, Wasau, Oladeja. Who's going to come in and make big plays for UCLA in this game? I think the linebackers are key. Obviously, everybody points to the lack of success from the DBs. Looked like Jalen Davies maybe supplanted or close to starting more consistently than Kenny Churchwell in the secondary, which can be very young for UCLA when you have a freshman in Ramsey. You've got Davies, who's just technically a sophomore in eligibility-wise. The Bruins are a little young on certain sides when it comes to the secondary. Will they get beat deep if Johnson goes for a play action and they let him throw it deep, despite him only throwing just about 30, 35 passes in his young Utes career in 2023, at least throwing the football or whoever, maybe it's rising who comes back, whatever it is, the secondary, it's key for them not to get beat deep against Utah's offense. 
Now, can the UCLA D-line penetrate the O-line? Yes, that'll be a fascinating battle to see if Latu can get stopped. I'm not sure that Utah will keep him quiet all game long, but if it's the majority of the time, avoiding 21 QB hurries that the Bruins have inflicted upon the opposition the first three weeks, then I'm not entirely sure that Utah will be successful offensively. I think the key is, will the linebackers fill the gaps? Will the secondary get beat deep on a big play action? Or will it be some random route that somebody gets lost in a road environment? I'm not entirely sure. But those are the things, I think, more than the dominance of UCLA's D-line that can be important. Now, Latu, the Murphys, everybody up front, they can simply dominate this game all by their strength and their quickness and their ability to get and pressure rising or Johnson or whoever the Utes throw out there for quarterback for week four, they can simple single-handedly wreck this game for the Utes offense. I don't think that'll happen consistently enough for me to make a mark of it, but that is how talented UCLA is up front this season and how much they rely upon defensively their front tackles for loss sacks. Now, can the Bruins get some help from behind all those guys? I think that's where you fill the gaps and Land is maybe going to throw in a couple blitzes, maybe go all out, selling out for the run. And do they get beat on a short pattern that turns into a big touchdown? We'll find out. Remember, Utah's what first play went for a touchdown, right? Of the season or something ridiculous against Florida. Those are things you don't want to give up big play touchdowns in situations where you don't have to. When it's a third and long, you just send it all out. Make sure that does not happen against the Utes. Now, who is actually going to play? All these guys for Utah is hurt. Kyle Whittingham's been saying again and again, 15, 16 guys injured. Now, how many guys are available? How many are not? How much of this is coach speak, mental games? Regardless of what you want to say about a Chip Kelly, Whittingham, any coach when it comes to availability, who's starting, coaches will always play games with the public in terms of who's available, who's not, who will play. That will always happen. Now, seeing how beat up the Utes are, they are hurt. There will be guys missing, and Whittingham just doesn't want to reveal his cards right away despite how accurate or how secretly he's playing it right now. Still, I've got a list of key offensive weapons alone that the Utes have been without, have been reportedly walking in a boot, or we don't even simply know if they're going to make their debut against UCLA in 2023 in Week 4. The ranked matchup, Arguably of the week in the Pac-12, I know there's Wazoo and Oregon State, but this is a big one that can truly determine which team gets a good path and maybe gets another mulligan down the line in Pac-12 play. Because there probably won't be a team that can go through the Pac-12 unbeaten, which is why it's scary if Utah wins this game so hurts, they can still go down for the rest of the Pac-12 and look for a three-peat. For UCLA, you win this game, you get a time to rest and recover, and then you can maybe steal a game against Oregon State, handle things at home against Wazoo, and the belief continues to build. But it starts by winning this game and proving you can go beat the top dog of the Pac-12 of the last couple of seasons. That is where the defense can step up and do so against Utah. Give the offense a chance, and we'll talk about that. Injuries coming up next on the Locked On UCLA. Let me tell you about why I love bird dogs so much. First off, their shorts or their pants that can make you feel so, so good. They're stretch khaki shorts designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and the leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. What did I wear to the game on Saturday? 
at, at against NC Central, I wore the bird dogs. You know what my father looked and said, what you wearing? I said, I'm wearing my bird dogs, bro. And he's like, that's nice, son. I said, boom, dap it up. Go get some bird dogs. So I was feeling good. Even though it was a little cloudy, I put them on. felt good. They're nice and snug, but not too much that it hurts that waist, hurts that tummy that for me is rolling up over the, you know, the waistband, it felt good and snug, and they're extremely comfortable. I can throw 30 things in the pockets. They feel good. Bird dogs, they are functional for any occasion, especially during the college football season. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter the promo code locked on college at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free water bottle at checkout. You don't want and you won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Cruising on to the second segment of Locked On UCLA, Zach Anderson. Yox, I'm with you guys. I took a pause. I said, you know what? You know what? I have not busted out in a while. I'm getting crazy. We're putting on the UCLA jersey. So you're like, what's he doing? I'm like, well, let's put this on and get excited to talk about some UCLA football. Because one of the biggest things in the storylines, I've already touched on it, but I decided, hey, What's so important talking about Utah's offense is the guys that may not be available injury-wise for this team for Kyle Whittingham, whether it's Nate Johnson starting or Cam Rising. Nobody knows. We're not going to know until kickoff, and even then we still might not know who is starting and playing for quarterback for the Utah Utes, which is why UCLA's defense may indeed have a field day considering they're not going to possibly cover the top one, two, or three threats for Utah, who's still without a starting center, still without their leading expected tight ends, and they have a kicker they're missing. So those are all just offensive threats I'm about to list off right now as to why UCLA could theoretically come away with a win that may look even more dominant in the final score if this ends up happening, but something to take a note of for why UCLA's defense could and should have a good successful day with the amount of banged-up players the Utes have. Obviously, the big name is Cam Rising. Is he going to play? Is he not? Nobody knows. But that's still, even if he's back, we don't know how ready he'll be when everybody else is in week four form. Week four form, he will be in week one, haven't played in a year. Stability, stamina, right? Stamina for Cam Rising if he is to play this game for Utah. Brent Keithy, I've talked about him. He's a tight end that's been in the Utah program for quite some time was granted another year of eligibility he is a key weapon that i'm not sure will be ready he also had an acl injury that's someone the utes are missing and the utes certainly love their tight ends in recent years it was kincaid mixed with keithy they have johnny maia which i hope i did not butcher the name they've been going with jaron crump who has done a decent job from all intents and purposes when it comes to filling in as the starting center that they might compete when maia is ready but that's still a starting center, a key offensive lineman that they've had to shift someone over. And when you have lot two and you've got the Murphys on the edge, anybody who UCLA can throw off you to rush the quarterback or try and get a tackle for loss against what will be a key Utah running attack with Johnson in there as a dual threat. When you've got the, the Utah rushing attack, it's when you're missing a lineman like that, hey, the Bruins can make something happen, especially when your best defensive Unit is the D-line. Then you've got Devon Vele, Micah Pittman, Munir McLean. What is so specific about these three receivers? The two leaders expected, Vele and Pittman, are guys who necessarily didn't have big games in their first games at Baylor or against Florida. 
but they're still expected to put up big numbers. They missed the Weber State game for Pittman and Vele. They didn't play. And then Munir McLean, who actually balled out and put up 90 yards against Weber State before Utah pulled away in that win, he was reported from, I believe, the Salt Lake Tribune to be at practice with a boot on his foot. So what's his availability looking like? All saying that we don't even know if their kicker, Cole Becker, is available. He's been pretty good and reliable on kickoffs and field goals. They've used the likes of two separate kickers, one for kickoffs, and then another one for field goals. And while maybe the, we're not entirely sure about how the, the field goal game will be important for Utah in this game, for their kickoffs, if we move into special teams now, only one of the five or six kickoffs the Utes had ended up being a, a touchback, which means UCLA has a chance to return it. I know there's a lot of talk about why is Yankoff back there returning for the Bruins if he has a chance to bust it off. But for Yankoff, you've got the likes of a very athletic running style when he runs with the football coming from a handoff from the quarterback. But when he runs trying to follow the blocks and the kickoff, those two just don't seem to mesh together. You can see a clear difference when he's running the football from an offensive play, a snap, versus wanting to return a kickoff. I know Jones has been a name that's been thrown out there, especially from the fans, as someone to return super athletic pretty quick. Maybe Chip Kelly might make that switch, or he values possession and the big body of Yankoff to bounce off some tackles where he might get an opportunity if Becker for Utah is still hurt and they have a kickoff specialist, quote-unquote, who might not get a lot of touchbacks and the Bruins have a chance to return and get better field position coming off a kickoff or two. I'm not sure how many kickoffs there will be in this game. UCLA just has an opportunity to take advantage of the Utah injuries. I've already talked about it, but these are names from Rising, Keithy, Maya, Vela, Pittman, Becker, McLean, doesn't even include, excuse me there, if he doesn't even include the defensive side where they still have some talent missing. That's just offense and special teams alone that can be key to Utah getting, or in this game, not scoring as many points as they should, where the Bruins might not have to score more than 22 points to win this game in Utah. If it's a low-scoring game, that does favor the Utes, but we're not needing a UCLA 30-point performance. It's up to the defense to step up to the task limits what is an injured team, and we'll see how everything plays out from there. That's the list of those Utah injuries. That's just part of the list of the 15 to 16 guys Kyle Whittingham has already gone through and talked about over and over again throughout the week. We love our guys. We want them back. Could be some gamesmanship. Who knows? But that is something to look forward to. Not look forward to, but to keep an eye on in this game between UCLA and the Utes a key Pac-12 opener for both two ranked opponents looking to get a leg up and get on that run to the final Pac-12 championship game here in 2023 ever in the Pac-12, ever. I don't know what the Mountain West and Pac-2 are going to do, but for now, the real Pac-12, this is the beginning of the end. And what a fun ride it will be as we're going downhill, get some airtime. If you're a roller coaster fan, this will be a fun one in Rice-Eccles Stadium. Coming up next, a unique story from across town that even got a Chip Kelly quote about this. USC has suspended a local news reporter, a beat writer, I should say, if you want to be really get clarif- get that clarified right there. In the Southern California News Group, there's many different reporters who do great jobs covering all the teams in Southern California, whether it be UCLA or the Trojans, or if you want to go way down and talk about San Diego State. A lot of, play, a lot of reporters, beat reporters, 
even columnists who do great jobs to do their job. And USC suspended Luca Evans for two weeks. I want to give my thoughts, especially since Chip Kelly was asked about it during the most recent UCLA practice on September 20th. Is that possible? Is that ethical? I studied journalism. I'll give you my thoughts when we return on Locked On UC. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace Case. The Jace Case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. All you have to do is they handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 off by using the code locked on at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com, the promo code locked on. So final segment here with you guys, Zach Anderson, you also have a wrapping things up. A unique story that developed out of USC where a local reporter is suspended for two weeks, not granted access to practice, whatever it may be. In Luca Evans, he's got his name thrown around. And when you're a journalist and a beat reporter, you don't really want to become part of the story. Not that that's what this is. But Lincoln Riley, USC, saying, hey, this was an article posted. And maybe a repeat offense of sorts when it comes to policy and covering teams for covering the USC football team for Luca Evans. And there's been a lot of different thoughts. All the Trojan fans have come in and said, hey, you should follow the rules. Every single journalist has stepped in and says USC is absolutely missing the bar on this and failing. And you'll see every local journalist from the LA Times, the Register, all part of the SoCal News Group, every single journalist, big, far, and small, big, wide, far, and small, saying Lincoln Riley just doesn't understand what it takes to be in the LA media market. This isn't Norman, Oklahoma. Chip Kelly, who ironically is usually the best friend of the media, jokes and puns intended there was asked about it by the media scrum before practice what, what are your thoughts is the media question and answered the question which was my intro you can do that i've never really heard about that the end kind of being more of a a loose quote the beginning was you can do that questioning that because we know chip kelly who still officially has not announced the starter hasn't been always the most loquacious to the media like he has been in recent years about NIL commercials and lack of new timing rules in the NCAA or talking about his dog to reporters, whatever it may be. He's not been the most talkative, but what he did say, which was unique was we don't pay much attention as a group in talking about what's written, what's talked about in the media by the other people like myself, people who write for the Times, maybe it's Bro Report, doesn't matter. We all kind of do the same thing in different formats, whether it be work, whether it be interviews, whether it be talk goofiness like I get to do here for Locked On UCLA. What is this unique divide is what are the ethics when it comes to a journalistic standard for someone who can be very young in the game in their early 20s covering the USC football report? You've got all these different things. Is USC, are they completely missing the mark? Are they absolutely stupid? Is there a way where Luca actually crossed the line? Or is there a way where there can be a middle ground, where there can be lessons learned, mistakes made, 
and still a way for the team of sorts to be covered, right? Because Ben Bolch hasn't had to deal with this situation, at least not to my knowledge, when it comes to covering UCLA sports, football, and for basketball. So if you're missing the situation, there is a set of team policy rules that they had to deal with. And I guess Evans once crossed the line or broke one of those policies when it came to a press conference. Then there was another time when there was a quote used from football players standing in front of him, not during an official team availability for media availability in front of him, but he was able to use something that was said from one freshman football player to another, if I've got the story correct. And then that was used and attributed in the story, talking about how one of these USC football players has overcome his shyness. And that was one of the quotes used by the reporter in the story, which is Luca Evans. Lincoln Riley's been asked. He didn't want to go deep into detail. And now everybody on social media, if you're wondering, hey, why are the UCLA people lambasting on USC? Why is Lincoln Riley getting hated on? For me, in my experience as broadcaster and having studied journalism, it brings across a unique question and a unique thought. What is the ethical standard? Where can there be grace? And where can Lincoln Riley put his arm around, not literally or figuratively, but kind of put his arm around the reporter, schmooze the media, if you will, and say, hey, this crossed the line that we've set for you as media members, whether it be an SID who set the rules, whether it's Riley specifically coming down and yelling about these things, whoever is specifically the key target and big man or big person yelling down and making this happen. In my mind, I've been, I've gotten in, maybe not gotten into it, but I've certainly had situations where coaches, coaches have been frustrated with me by questions or comments I've said over the air, which I didn't even think were crazy, crazy questions. Maybe it hurt their feelings. Maybe it was something that said, hey, we're talking about the game, but everybody's got their own feelings. Riley's trying to protect his program, protect his players. For journalists, they're trying to protect the news, the amendments. And we're not going to get full political there, but that's just, they're there to report the news. And in this case, the news is reporting the football team. Riley's trying to make sure, hey, there's reasons why we have close practices and media availability. I do think the suspension is a little wild. I don't have full knowledge of the, the idea. And while there are rules in place for reasons, I tend to be somewhat, I think, of a rule follower. I don't know. There is a way to be like, hey, can we talk about this? And it, with this being more than one time, and if it's gone down the list, if you're not really sure with how the media relations world works, SIDs are the superheroes of college athletics, especially in pros too, sports information directors. So they've got to deal with this, whether it's the nonsense from a coach, whether it's media requests, UCLA, SC, they probably, all the bigger named schools get a lot more than say smaller mid-majors, than the group of fives when they're not winning anything, or even the D2 schools that have SIDs, D3s, NAIA, lower level college athletics that you didn't even know existed, they all have SIDs of some sort, someone who is there to handle a media story or handle the information being pushed out from a university. Those are the superheroes. So I kind of was asking around, wondering, hey, what does this mean, right? Getting SIDs perspectives, getting you know people who study journalism. I, to, in my personal opinion, I'm not sure what how the suspension really furthers along the conversation. A full two-week suspension, but now they could have gone even crazier and suspended him for a full year. It does seem a little unique, not the best option, but USC was clearly offended for one reason or another. 
And I kind of like to say, all right, what's the ethical boundary? Do you use that quote if it's so egregious, even if it's in a positive light? I always like to be a little more questionable about can I use this? Should I use this? But I do kind of think of the nonsense, not the nonsense, but think along the lines of the journalist as, hey, this was said in front of me. I'm covering the team. Can I use this? That's where the debate is, at least in this specific instance, even if media availability was not a part of the question because this was said at a team practice or right before the team practice field, right before practice from what I'm understanding the situation to be. You might know more information than I do. That's what I've gathered, read, and seen many articles, many local LA area SoCal-based news newspapers have come on and written loud articles condemning what USC did. I don't agree with it. But I think we should look at it from both angles. There's the rules in place for a reason. I just don't think the suspension is the best way to have handled that. And it does not necessarily doesn't set the right standard, I think, that we're trying to get. In the heart of hearts, in the right heart of hearts, we're trying to promote the student athlete, which is already evolving quite a bit with NIL, right? Because now people can go pay to have autographs. They can go pay different things. College football coaches, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for crying out loud to come to LA and make gazillions and gazillions of dollars. The highest, one of the highest paid public UC employees, if not the highest, I believe is Chip Kelly. So it's a different game that we're trying to make sure these coaches, these players, which are slowly turning into entities, if you will, especially the student athlete, even if we want to promote them in a positive light, create stories, talk about sports in a newsworthy sense, it's you want to make sure it's going the right way. But we all, in the heart of hearts, we're just trying to have fun. We're talking sports. This is a fun thing to do. Even if it is from a newspaper as a beat writer, it, this is supposed to be fun. Even if Lincoln Riley can coach a good offense or bring someone over, or if Luca Evans can write a good article, or even if I am entertaining once in a blue moon on this podcast, we all hope to do it in stride with fun, with something we think we might be halfway decent at once in a blue moon, whether it's writing, whether it's coaching, or speaking endlessly and rambling on for 30-plus minutes. Not sure the suspension was the right move. It's a unique thing, but I think you can't put the full blame on one or the other. I do think it was a little far to necessarily do that. Maybe not going to come out and say, I condemn this, condemn this, but it doesn't sound like the right move. But there's still more things that you have to peel back, little layers, little things that there's conversations I do not know that may or may not have happened. Maybe a, uh, an email or two sent back and forth saying, hey, these are our policies. And that's just a weird thing to get into. I just don't think suspension is the right move. I'm not sure. Hit me in the comments with your thoughts. I guess even if a Trojan fan sees this, whatever, UCLA fans, what are your thoughts? It's a unique debate about the ethics the thoughts, and where can we learn, right? Where can someone, especially early in the industry, whether it's a a media industry, a coaching sports, whatever you're doing, where can you learn and make a mistake? And where is the line to where that's too far and you've got to be punished, even if it's just a slap on the wrist, a mini punishment of sorts? What's the line there? That's something that I'm going to leave you guys as a question with to end this pod. For the next Locked On UCLA episode, it's actually a crossover with Locked On Utes. JT Wistrasil and I get into the keys. We talk about the likes of predictions and this battle of is Rising actually going to play or do we know nothing at all? But that talks about We talk about that on the next Locked On UCLA episode. If you're an everydayer, go make sure to subscribe, download, 
and listen to that episode or watch it on YouTube like you may have been doing with this one. Other than that, I'm Zach Anderson Yoxheimer signing off. This has been Locked on UCLA. Bruins fans, get your hands up. A clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, A, U, C, L, A, U, C, L, A, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked on UCLA. Go Bruins.